following podcast deals with mature themes. Listener discretion is advised. If you have any information that can help bring Candace home, please come forward to police or you can remain anonymous by reporting to Crime Stoppers. Last time on Deals, Debts, and Death, the disappearance of Candace Singbeal, you heard my co-host Julie talk to Candace's mom, Pauline. You learned more about where Candace's story started and how a healthy, loved, and independently-minded little girl ultimately went down a path of self-destruction. Episode 3, Red Flags, continues Candace's story from the time she was reported missing. As a police service, we publicly identified the major crime section as taking over the investigation after just four weeks, something not necessarily considered standard for a missing persons investigation. In this episode, we speak to two of the early lead investigators of the file about what stood out to move this from a missing person to a major crime investigation so early on. Before we get started, I want to reintroduce Candace. Out of respect for her family, we've called her by her given name. But as investigators spoke to people and dug into this case, they quickly learned that wasn't part of her identity at the time she disappeared. Those that knew her in Saskatoon, in her lifestyle, in that community, they knew her by a different name. K, spelled K-A-E. So, as we move into the next chapter of her story, you'll hear us and the investigators we've spoken to interchangeably refer to her as both. I'm Kelsey, and I'll be your host for this episode. Deals, Debts, and Death continues now. So settle in, and let's get to work. When Kay was reported missing on May 25th, 2015, she and her boyfriend had been crashing at an apartment in a building called the Traveler's Block. In the next episode, we'll take you inside that 110-year-old building where Kay spent her final night and what was considered ground zero for the search radius. Kay's boyfriend told police they had recently relapsed from a brief period of sobriety and had been partying that day. They passed out together on the couch around midnight, and when he woke up, she was gone. This wasn't unusual, though. Kay would often get up in the middle of the night to go binning, to find things she could trade for cash or drugs. What was unusual, though, was that she didn't return, and her social media was dark. In addition to her addiction to drugs, one might also say she was addicted to Facebook. She rarely went more than a couple of hours without posting something. I'll pause here to urge you to remember this detail. We'll come back to it later on, and it'll be a big focus for another investigational tactic, one dubbed Project Searchlight, that we discuss in the next episode. Kay's boyfriend would spend the next two days looking for her on his own, but it was finally at Pauline's urging that he would file a report with police. I'm Kevin Montgomery. I worked with the uh, Saskatoon Police Service for just over 30 years. Uh, In those 30 years, I worked uh, in patrol. I worked in uh, organized crime. I worked in the drug section. I also worked in uh, domestic violence. 
I went to major crime. Uh, from there, I went to missing person. I uh, worked in the intel unit, and then when I retired, I was a uh, acting staff sergeant in charge of the street crimes unit. So I uh, worked several different areas of the, of the service. Lots of experience. Yeah, lots of, lots of experience. Seen a lot of different things, for sure. That's retired Detective Sergeant Kevin Montgomery. He spent more than 20 of his 30-year policing career working on investigations. He was the sergeant in charge of the missing persons unit in 2015. Kay was one of 2,382 people reported missing that year. Many of these are followed up and concluded by patrol officers, but those that remain outstanding usually wind up on Kevin's desk for a closer look, as was the case with Kay. So Monday morning I come in, this file's on my desk. Uh, I, I quickly give it a read, I assign it to an investigator. One of those investigators, the two constables that are there, uh, reads the file and starts working the file right away. They're making phone calls, they're talking to people associated um, to Candace, the missing person, and trying to find that where she is, right? Um, that person works that whole day on that file. This is typically how a missing person's investigation works. Officers will look at the person's history and try to answer questions like, have they gone missing before? Where and with whom do they hang out? Are they a vulnerable person or in a vulnerable state? Have they been active on social media? Has there been any activity on their bank account? These are just a few of the questions that investigators would have asked about Kay's disappearance. And each of these questions that goes unanswered is a red flag. When enough red flags go up, investigators look to take the next step. So when the missing persons constable came to Kevin at the end of that first day, he said there's something strange about this file and we need to take a closer look. They arranged for Kay's boyfriend to come in for an interview. Halfway through that interview, there's, there's red flags coming up to me. So she's been missing for about a week or just over a week now. Um, they're homeless. Um, they are involved with drugs. Um, there is talk about a drug debt. And there's also some domestic violence between the two of them. So there's, there's several factors here that are way, way more, I guess, than, than your regular missing person file. So right from this interview, I go straight to the staff sergeant in charge of major crime, and we sit down and I say, I have concerns about this file. Uh, this is bigger than just missing person. <laughs> I think we need to really consider uh, this as a, you know, possibly foul play being involved here. The missing persons unit, both at the time that Kay went missing and now, is staffed with one sergeant and two constables. And they are busy. This year, in 2023, the police service is on pace to take 4,000 reports for missing people. Now, not all missing persons investigations have the trajectory that we're seeing Kay's investigation take. But the reality is that a unit of that size isn't able to take on an investigation of that scope and continue to follow up on all of their other reports. Unfortunately, crime doesn't stop just because the police service is busy. 
When it came down to it, missing persons investigators had more questions than answers and not enough resources to properly follow up. Given the addictions, drug debt, and violence, police were concerned. And those concerns were only amplified when investigators couldn't find any proof that Kay might still be alive. This is why the investigation would very quickly move to major crime. There, it would be assigned to a team of seasoned investigators to follow up on. This team was led by then-Detective Sergeant Aaron Coates. When I was assigned Candace's file, I was a sergeant in major crime, which um, we get assigned homicide files. So we take a number of different roles on homicide files and kind of work as a team in the major crime section. Erin entered the major crime section in 2013. So in addition to her years as a police officer, she also had extensive experience in major case management. Her role as lead investigator is to control the speed, flow, and direction of an investigation. Basically, there isn't a single thing that happens that Aaron doesn't direct to happen. And after a briefing by Kevin, she was convinced of the urgency to get things moving. The fact that Sergeant Montgomery said, hey, we need to take a, take a look at this, like he's got massive amounts of experience in the homicide side of the investigations and and this didn't sit right with him and then then we more we talked it out and we laid out some of the red flags that we were seeing it's like yep nope we need to get rolling on this because we were already well we were already two days behind by the time it was even reported and sometimes the farther you are behind the more you have to catch up the quicker you need to catch up we did like a, a workup on Candace just as far as even figuring out her story like the interesting thing about even the drug world or or people with addictions and mental health or who are living in these types of circumstances, every single one of them has a story of where they came from and how they got there. And some of them get out, some of them don't. As you already know, Kay did not, in fact, get out, which meant that Kevin and Aaron, as the early lead investigators, had what seemed like a million questions they needed to find answers to. As they worked to start piecing together the full story, there was a lot of information coming in. For instance, one interview leads to two more people they need to follow up with, and this continues. And out of that process, there are obvious directions and people to look at, as there typically are when a crime happens. I believe people were trying to figure out what seemed the most obvious, the most logical. Um, the opportunity was there. And that was kind of like the easiest solution for them to come to some of the conclusions that they came to. Some of the information was helpful and some was not. But investigators followed up on each and every piece of it. Because even when they followed up on something that turned out to be nothing, they were still answering a question, even if it wasn't one they knew they had. And we know from speaking to current investigators for this project, they still follow up on information as it comes in. As we've heard from others so far, domestic violence was a component of Kay's life at the time. Pauline mentioned in the last episode that she was not in a healthy relationship. And while Kay was both the victim and at times the aggressor, it was her boyfriend who assaulted her so significantly while pregnant that her daughter was born premature. 
Aaron is speaking to my co-host Julie here. They're justified finger points, if that makes sense. There's a lot of domestic violence history. There's a lot of people that saw Candace having relationships and what they look like in these relationships unfolding in front of people. And there is valid concern for Candace's safety in some of the relationships that she was in. That is one thing we haven't touched on is their abuse wasn't always private. No, absolutely not. There, We spoke to well, so many people that had seen the abuse firsthand. But despite all that information, as any well-trained investigator knows, Erin knew she couldn't have tunnel vision. As cases continue, especially over long periods of time, Investigators have the opportunity to speak with people again, and oftentimes new information emerges and points them in a different direction or down a new investigative avenue. Erin knew she needed to look at all the information and evaluate what fits together and how it fits together. In my mind and my investigator's mind is a major crime investigation is a puzzle and a spider web all at the same time. And if I were to only go down one path in one direction, I'm not doing a, I'm not doing any justice to my investigation. We explore all of those little spider webs and we go after every single one of those puzzle pieces to kind of figure out where they fit. And if I got stuck going down one path, then I miss all the other clues and hints and puzzle pieces that are around me. Another early task in any investigation is canvassing the area and looking for video. And they found some. It was the last time anyone saw Kay alive. It was nighttime, and the black and white clip is only seconds long. But Kay comes into the frame as she rides her bike past the camera, wearing dark clothes and with her dyed blonde hair swept back into a ponytail. You can see her cell phone with the screen lit up in her left hand as she cycles leisurely down the sidewalk. The footage is grainy, but not so much that investigators can't be sure of who it is. The bike she is riding is described as a dark-colored men's supercycle cruiser classic with white wall tires and a faux wood grain chain guard. It's never been found, and some investigators we've spoken to believe that if we find her bike, we'll find Candace. As lead investigator, several of the tasks that Aaron assigned in those early days focused on the river due to how close it is to where Kay was last seen. Our eye in the sky, the air support unit, was utilized to aid in the search from above. Equipped with infrared camera technology that helps to map heat signatures and other anomalies below, investigators were confident that with the low river levels that year, if Kay was in the river, they would find her. The public safety unit was another specialty area that helped cover the ground search. They expertly coordinated searches of the riverbank and several other locations around the city. And being equipped with GPS, they were able to review their search grid and determine, to within a meter, if there was somewhere that they had missed. This unit was also a critical component of a larger search effort of a landfill in June, less than a month after Kay was last seen. We'll tell you more about the massive effort it took to prepare and conduct that search and what they found in the next episode. Even with all these efforts, Aaron still had questions. This just makes my brain spin in the sense of where was she going? What was she thinking? What was going on in her life? Were they receiving threats, right? Like there's, were they, did she do stuff at midnight to avoid people? 
Did she... Was she avoiding anybody? Was this drug debt out that outstanding that people had already been threatening? We can piece together what was going on in her life, but I don't know if anybody knows the full story. Finding that full story Aaron just spoke of is further convoluted by the impact of drugs, both in terms of what they do to a person's mental ability and their ability to recall things and the role drugs play in determining someone's willingness to talk and their feelings of safety. But I also believe their bizarre behavior probably had something to do with their substance abuse or if they were on a substance of some sort. And people in the drug world are just trying to survive in that world and the best they can or the best they know how. And most of the time it's, it's turning on each other sometimes too or stealing from each other just to kind of make it to the next day or make it to their next high or, or whatever that looks like. I think there is a lot of money owed back and forth between everybody in the drug world. And a lot of people use violence to solve their problems in that drug world as well too and are scared of each other. Scared of each other what they will do on the drugs, scared of each other what they'll do if they owe money, scared, just scared and trying to survive and and making sure that they're safe and they get their next high or they get their next fix, whatever that looks like. Another source of information came from Pauline, Candace's mom. As you can imagine, she had a number of people telling her things. And if you put yourself in the shoes of a parent trying to find a missing child, you have to understand why she passed on everything she heard to investigators. I think sometimes they must have thought I was batshit crazy when I would call in because things that would come forward to me that I had to relay back to them. And and some days I was, I'm sure, I thought I had it together, but when you go through these emotions, your child's missing and you're in denial and then you're mad and then you're regretful and so many things, um, they, they definitely were patient with me. Here's my co-host Julie speaking with Aaron about Pauline's comments. Afterwards, she said she kind of regretted believing everything she heard and passing it on. Like, she, she looks back at it now and says, I don't know if I, I hindered the investigation doing that or not. Absolutely not. And actually reviewing my file, I thought a lot about Pauline and how hard it must have been to hang on to those little bits and pieces of hope because you hope that your daughter's okay. You hope that she's going to be found. You just hope that this one piece of information will be that piece of information that that brings it or brings the case to light or brings her home. Um, she didn't hinder it at all. Uh, if anything, she definitely helped and added a lot of context to the file for us, which greatly assisted us. One of the pieces of information that came in early and was credible was Kay's drug debt. Based on what he saw through his investigative experience, we asked Kevin what he knows about drug debts. They will be collected sort of one way or another. Um, and, and that might mean they need to work them off. And by working them off, uh, that might make them uh, being forced into uh, human trafficking end of things 
or dealing drugs, more drugs to pay that debt off. Um, so one way or another, they will try and, and collect on that. Or violence to themselves. Or violence. To be clear, we don't believe or have any evidence to suggest that Kay was the victim of human trafficking. But we do believe she was the victim of violence. We also heard about this retribution of violence from Donna in episode one that has made several people around the investigation ask, could Candace's death have been an accident from a lesson gone wrong? Both Aaron and Pauline seem to think this is a possibility. Lots of times in the drug world, people will try to scare each other and take things too far. And if it was an accident, then let's figure out if it was an accident and things went too far. But where is she? Like, where is her body? We need to bring Candace home. We need to figure out where she is and bring her home to her family. I, I, I had heard, and I don't know how and if it's true, that the people responsible wanted to teach her a lesson and it went wrong. And if that's what happened, why didn't you just come forward and claim it as an accident? To, 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 if it was an accident and you took her away, that's not fair. Fair to us, fair to her son and her daughter. And if you have any heart at all, would you please come forward and put this to rest for us? Because it is a nightmare. Whether Kay's life was cut short as a result of an accident or not, it doesn't lessen the desire of police or her family to find answers. And some of those answers may come from a place we all know a little too well. You gotta love or hate Facebook, but Facebook was almost made things harder. That meth world is so big and small all at the same time where they kind of all know each other or they've all somewhat crossed paths with each other or just the drug world alone as far as rumors and suspicion and people dealing with mental health and people on substance abuse. While Aaron says this might have made things harder back then, Years later, it might just lead to the break in the case police are looking for. Join us for episode four as we pull back the curtain and detail some of the more in-depth search efforts. That's next time on Deals, Deaths, and Deaths.